0: and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb they cried out in one voice praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our god forever and ever well hey good morning church glad you're with us today can we clap it's good to be in god's house And I know we're in um, thousands of homes around the area and uh, just grateful um, for what God continues to do. Man, I I have a word on my heart. I'm gonna kind of, I feel like I'm gonna stumble over my words a bit because um, I have something in me and I wanna get it out to you. And I really believe it's gonna bless you. Um, We are in our final installment, if you would, of this series that we've been in. And um, I believe this one will help you more than maybe the other ones would in the in the past weeks. But I really believe so passionately about what I'm going to share with you today. Um, and I pray that it helps you and blesses you and allows you to kind of have a reassessment of where you might be today. Um, I really think this is a season for internal reflection in our journey with the Lord. I think a lot is happening around us a lot of is happening in, in our own communities, in our nation, in our state, around the world, and I think sometimes we can become so caught up with everything that's going on outside of us that we neglect the very thing that's happening within us. Listen to me now: you, you the outside, the peripheral, the the circumstance—they don't have it. Does not have permission to rob you of your peace and your joy in Christ Jesus, Amen. And so I, I want us today. I want to share with you a tactic of the devil today. I just want to—I want to help you. It is a, a ploy um, from the enemy. It is a tactic that he has that he has deployed across our country and around the world. And I'm passionate about this, and I want to—I want to share it with you today because I believe it will help us navigate um, through the, the turmoil. Nothing frustrates me more than seeing believers in Christ getting snared into a lie from the devil. Nothing frustrates me more. And I pray today as I preach this message that the Holy Spirit would open eyes, allow you to see and discern that which really is before you. Let's just back up real quick before we get into the message today. I want to, the enemy, do you remember the Garden of Eden? Anyone remember that story in Genesis? Uh, um, uh, what, did the devil, what did the devil do? He told Eve, would will you really die? Will you really did G, did God really tell you that? He is the great deceiver. He takes partial truth and mixes it with lies, but a partial truth is not in and of itself truth. It is a lie in and of itself, but he has you questioning. It sounds good. It looks good. Maybe I should just believe it. It is the same tactic today. It is the exact same tactic today, and I want to talk with you through it. But today, if you're taking notes, you can write on the top of it. You can write the issue of neutrality. The issue of neutrality. I want to read to you something. The idea of neutrality is one of probably the most divisive, demonic, and evil ideas that plagues the world today. You may be confused how neutrality is evil. It's actually very anti-Christian and anti-Christ. I'm going to explain this idea of neutrality to you, but not just explain an idea. I want you to understand how this applies to your everyday conversation with people that you love, with people that you talk to, maybe with your spouse, your family members. And I want you to be able to discern this. Listen to me. I'm not sharing this with you so that you can better win an argument. I'm sharing this with you so that you can understand that the enemy is out to divide, is out to cause chaos, and as believers in Jesus, I want you to know one of his tactics to destroy. Because when you know, one of, when you know his game plan, you see it before it happens. You see it unfold before it happens. You say, wait a second, wait a second, wait. You're deploying this idea of neutrality again. You're making me pick a side. You're forcing us to divide ourselves. You're forcing us to become frustrated with one another. And when he does that, he'll have an advancement in taking, in taking ground. And let's start by looking at what this word neutral actually means and why it's pushed so much in our society. The word neutral comes from the Latin word neuter. You ever hear that word before? In meaning neither one nor the other, but right in the middle. To neuter something means to take away that which makes something stand out or unique. Return it to the center. To strip something of definition or identity. Some of you, like me, had a, had a dog or a cat and you had it neutered. <laughs> to strip something of its definition or its identity. Taking away a distinctive. This is where we get our word neutralized from. Have you ever heard this reference? We've neutralized the enemy or the situation. It's no longer a threat. To neutralize something is to take away or strip it of its power. Neutrality as a mindset means this. I want you to hear this. It means there are no sides, no convictions, no boundaries. I will just exist in the middle. Now, this is what you need to know. Society, the world our adversary, the one that, that, that presents himself one way but has a desire to do something different, this is one of his greatest means of doing it. Why? Because it can be delivered like a filet mignon. It looks so good. It looks like, man, this is so great. It's so kind. It's so welcoming. It's so inclusive. It's so good. We need to to remain neutral, have a sense of neutrality in the way that we love and care for people. That's not godly. It's not godly. And I want to continue. This is where the idea runs straight, head on with the idea of the church and the word of God as we believe it to be true. Neutrality states that there is no right and wrong. There is no absolute you merely decide what is right and wrong to yourself there is no moral objectivity there is no absolute truth you get to determine and decide what is a truth what is true and what is a lie you seek out and find it for yourself you live out your own truth there is no objective standard and how dare you suggest that there is you wanna see where the enemy has attacked us? And by the way, this is not new for the devil. Some of us in our culture today wanna to believe like, man, he's deployed this new plan against our culture. No, this has been around forever. It's been around forever. And he's deployed it in issues of sexuality. He's deployed it in issues of gender. He's deployed it in issues of marriage. I recently saw someone go to a university campus. It was an Ivy League institution. And the individual was walking around merely just to collect data based on this very principle. And he went around and began to ask students on campus three basic questions. And I don't want to get into the entire thing, but one of the questions that he was asking students, Ivy League students, was this, a simple question, how many genders are there? And after about three minutes, I had to shut it off because I said, this isn't real. There's no way. No one would answer. No one would answer the question. In fear of being judged, even the response to the question would have them stating an absolute truth and they refuse to do it. By the mere absence of an answer, you can see this principle at play. I want to remain neutral. So most of the responses were this. Well, whatever someone wants the answer to be, it should be that. And for many of us as Christians, this is the danger. Hear me now. This is the danger where we lie in it. Have you ever had a conversation to some, with someone? Maybe around those three specific issues. The ones that are being attacked today maybe more than ever before. And you speak to a Christian and they say something like this. You know what? I just want to love them. And you know what? If that's what they want to do, then just let them do what they want to do. You know I mean, come on, let's, let's, not, let's not try to control them. Let them do whatever they want to do. Like, come on, it's, it's okay. The only way that you get to a response of that, the only way that that response comes out of your mouth is if you really believe that there's no absolute truth. I believe we, we, we as believers in Jesus have an absolute truth. I believe that truth sets people free. If you don't believe that, you'll have no desire or conviction to talk to people about truth. Everything will circulate around the idea of feeling and emotion and what makes people feel good. That's all it will revolve around. But if you really believe that truth sets people free, and this is what I want you to know. I'm not telling you this so that you can be armed in a conversation with someone. I'm telling you this so that your spirit may be prepared to see the way that the enemy works against people in our nation today and around the world neutrality my bible says that jesus declared that i am the way the truth And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If I really believe that Jesus is the answer and he is the absolute authority and truth of all things, then I better be passionate about introducing Jesus into a world that believes there is no moral truth or moral objectivity. I need to introduce Jesus into the equation. The reason this is so demonic is it presents one thing and gives you something completely different. This is the essence of sin. This is do whatever you want to do and you will be fully satisfied. And then you do everything you want to do. You pursue your own desires, your own dreams, only to find yourself robbed of peace, joy, purpose, fulfillment, and meaning. And then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, what happened? I thought I was promised all this. No, you were promised a lie. And some of us as Christians seem to think this is harsh. My friend, it's only harsh if you don't believe that peace and, and, and joy and purpose is not found in the knowledge of Jesus. And listen, for some of us, I'm not talking to the unsaved person right now. I'm talking to, to those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, those who are children of the Most High, sons and daughters of God. If you don't recognize that in today's culture, you will be asked, to bow, to take a knee at the playing of a god that is not the one that we serve. You, you need to be sensitive to the culture we're in, because you'll be said, you'll be called names, and 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 said that you're in that you're you're not tolerant, that you're offensive to people. I'm telling you this so that you can see where the world is leading the conversation, and I'm not saying it for you to to feel panic or to feel worried, to feel overwhelmed. That's not the purpose of this. In Judges chapter 17, I wrote down, it says this. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In order for society to move towards this and to continue and to perpetuate this ideology of neutrality, they need to to neutralize anything that operates with moral objectivity or absolute truth. They do. They need to to neutralize or take away certain entities that operate in this mindset. And the local church and the word of God is one of of those absolute truths that that will and has been and will continue to be taken and placed under attack in our culture today. Now, I'm telling you this, not say, oh, well, what should we do? No, we focus our eyes upon Jesus. We know that he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't want to run around scared and worried about all the things that are going to happen around us. We know that in the end, our king wins, he rules supreme, and he's going to advance his agenda here on earth, but we have a role to play. He has a divine initiation in sending his son to redeem the world, and we have a a part to play in this redemptive plan. We are ambassadors of Christ meaning we are ambassadors carriers not of neutrality ambassadors of truth man we have a generation who is being raised and they are so confused so confused because they're being told whatever you want whatever you want and and they're, they're running in every different direction and it's far beyond the issues that I mentioned it's in every aspect of life And God offers truth. He offers peace. He offers purpose and value and meaning and fulfillment, but it comes from His Word. There is a continuation of, well, an attempt, I should say, to silence those who have strong convictions about things. It's happened already in issues of politics in our nation, it's happened in issues of sexuality, issues of marriage. The idea is to say that if I believe there's an absolute truth and it's a disagreement with you, then I'm the one that's intolerant. Then I'm the one that is offensive because I have a differing belief than you. But tolerance is not the assimilation of all beliefs. Tolerance is the willingness to live together in in and with people who have differing opinions than I share. And so the world will put out that if we believe and have strong convictions towards something that we can't, even, we can't even be in a society and love other people. But that's what we've been called to do. We've been called to pull up a seat next to someone who does not believe anything that we believe and love them and honor them and cherish them. And to look at them as, as through the eyes of God. We're called to, to encourage people, to love our adversaries and our enemies, to love those who believe nothing what we believe. That's what we're called to do. But in the process of loving people, we don't push away truth. Somewhere along the line, the enemy has convinced many Christians that if I push aside truth and appease people, they'll be happy. It is a false sense of comfort. It's a false sense of peace it's never really sustaining. The world today is getting to a place to say that that what we believe in is hate speech. (laughs) And I'm not trying to be dramatic today and I'm not trying to be, um, you know, a downer today. I want you to know how the enemy is playing his game. But I want you to know and be reminded of this, that Christ is always present with us, promising never to leave us nor forsake us, And we will advance and take territory and the church of Jesus Christ will increase and grow stronger. But in the process, don't allow yourself to be drifting off to the side of society and losing connectivity with the believers in the body of Christ because you just want to make everyone happy in your circle. I'd rather make someone angry and have them spend all eternity with me then separate them for all eternity and just make them happy in a temporary world. And so we have to be a church that carries truth, carries truth and believes it. This this idea of neutrality is actually a myth. It's not even possible. We claim that by not taking sides, we we are helping other people, but actually you are taking a side. Claiming to be neutral um, sounds good, It makes you feel good, but but you really are choosing a side. And at the end of the day, it only creates further division. This is how they've worked us as a nation in the area of politics. We don't even feel comfortable talking about politics in our culture. Do you notice that? When's the last time you had a conversation about issues of sexuality, issues of marriage, same-sex marriage, issues of gender, When's the last time? You don't talk about it. Do you know why you don't talk about it? Because if you talk about it and you're in a disagreement with it, it's offensive. But this is how the world wants to propagate an advancement of neutrality, but they do it for one reason and one reason only, to silence people that believe in an absolute truth. And it comes cloaked in this idea of love and care. The only way that you really see it is if you really, really know that Jesus is the only way. Some of you are bouncing back and forth in this idea in your soul. But there must be another way. Surely we can just let people. People are free to choose what they like. They are. Nowhere in the word of God does it say when you become a Christian, you force other people to believe. (laughs) We freely follow Jesus. We're not forced to follow. Jesus doesn't shackle us and say, follow behind me. He doesn't say, work, 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 work really hard, and then someday you'll ascend to the place that you need to spend all eternity. He doesn't say that. He calls us and asks us to freely follow him. And it's the same way that we lead other people. In Romans chapter 1, the apostle Paul addresses this brilliantly. I want you to listen very carefully to how he says this. He says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Why do I suppress the truth? If I have an adversary that wants to keep people in bondage, I want to suppress the truth and have them believe something they think is true, but to keep them in a place of bondage. We, the, the, our adversary is the great deceiver. He deceives people today. People are deceived into believing that freedom is found in one way, but it's only found in Christ. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. Hear me now. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and other things. The enemy has a plan. Church, I... I don't want to just preach a sermon to you today. I, I want you to see it. I want you to see it. Not to cause fear, not to cause frustration, and not to cause anxiety. I just want you to discern it in the Spirit. I want you to be made aware of it. Why, Pastor? Because I want you, your prayers to be in alignment with what the Spirit is saying. I want your prayers. Your prayers are powerful and effective. And if we as a church, just our one church, would all have the same direction in our prayers, prayers of justice, prayers to uproot sin and evil in our nation, prayers to to push us forward in our holiness and, and, and our repentance before God, man, God will move on our behalf. He really will. This has been going on for thousands of years. When it comes to the word of God, you can't be neutral. Do you, I remember growing up and um, I remember being at a lot of youth um, uh, youth services and I remember hearing people preach, like, you know, I tried to live on the fence. Remember hearing that? Like, you know, either in the world and then, you know, trying to be in church and then I was kind of doing what I wanted and then I remember living on the fence. Even the preach is a lie because you're never really on the fence. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? You're never really on the fence. You're on one side or the other. It makes you feel good to tell yourself you're on the fence, but you're really on one side or the other. It's says, like, oh, I'm right on the fence. I can't have No, no. If, if you think you're on the fence, you're not with God. You're with you. <laughs> and you have to get to a place to see it. I want to read you this passage of Scripture. It's found in Joshua. Joshua chapter 5, I believe, verse 13. Moses just passed. He just died. Joshua leads the people across the sea. The Ark of the Covenant parts the water and they're getting ready for their first battle. And I think it's great because you get to see the way that God prepares people for battle, right? I know that a lot of people are talking about a great harvest in our nation and I believe um, a harvest will come. I just don't think we're in the season right now for the harvest. I think right now is training camp for a fight. And harvests seem to come before and after battle. We don't run with fear, we don't live in panic, and we don't live in worry. We activate the armor of God in our life and we walk by faith and not by fear and not by what we see. And Joshua is preparing for battle, and he has this unique encounter. Some of you might be familiar with this, but I want to draw your attention to what the text says. It says in verse 13, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he was preparing. He went off to be by himself to pray as the guys got ready to to fight their first battle in the promised land that God had promised them. And it says in the text that he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and, and demanded, are you a friend or a foe? Meaning, are you with me or are you with my adversary? <laughs> and, and the man replied, neither one. I'm the commander of the Lord's army. And at this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I'm at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? Now, I've read that passage a lot. Now, listen, you need to know that if you're in Christ, God makes a promise to you. He makes a promise to you. Our God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time. You can't hide in a closet and not have him there. He's everywhere. So he's promised to never leave you nor forsake you. He's not going anywhere. You can't outrun him. You can't outhide him. You'll never beat him in a game of hide-and-seek. He's always there, right? He's always present. And, And I always got confused by this because Joshua asked Jesus, the commander of the Lord's army, if you would, He says, whose side are you? Are you with me or are you with them? I think think this is an issue of authority. And it's not semantics, by the way. It's not just a rearrangement of words. Joshua is saying, are you with me? And, and, And the commander of the Lord's army is probably thinking, no, you're either with me or you're against me. Now, some of you might think in in the text, you're like, wait, I thought the Lord was with Joshua. He was. But Joshua was asking the Lord, are you with me? Some of us just need to ask this question. Am I with God in this? A lot of us in society are so worried about whose side other people are on. Let me ask you a question. Are you on God's side? Many of us want God to be with us. Wherever we find ourselves, let's pick a, let's pick a corner of society and a, and, a, and a movement and a political party and a statement and whatever. And we say, God, I believe you're with me. And I just believe God say, no, I'm not. You're either with me or you're not. And so God's not interested in finding places to, to follow your agenda and your plan. It's His agenda and it's His plan. And we follow Him. Are you with God? It's a question. And I remember this as a, young, as a young believer. I remember always praying this, God, show me the plans you have for my life. Show me the plans you have for my life. I remember praying this all the time. God, what are the plans you have for my life? <laughs> your plans for your life are directly connected to his plans and his life. If you want to know your plans for your life, you have to surrender them to his plan and to his life. It's the only way it comes about. And it's a posture of surrender and humility, not one of arrogance and authority. And I believe that God wasn't trying to, Jesus wasn't trying to kind of make a power play with Joshua. He's trying to get a distinctive right here. You're not with, I'm not with you. You're with me and you decide. But we don't posture God in a position of choosing. God, you choose. You choose. God, are you with me or are you against me? And he says, no, 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 I'm neither. I am God. This interaction ends in a unique way. Very unique. The commander of the Lord's army replied. I have to tell you, at at the end of this verse, it just goes into the next chapter. But this is the end of this dialogue, this interaction, which is so unique, right? I mean, I don't know, I'm just trying to picture it. I try to always picture myself in like, uh, battle movies. I don't know. It's just like, you know, try to, would I run? Would I fight? I don't don't know. You know, you try to picture yourself. You want to tell yourself you'd be like the Braveheart guy. Probably not, but you know, you want to convince yourself you would be, right? And, um, but I'm just thinking you're off by yourself and you're just walking around and all of a sudden you see someone just standing there, probably strong and holding a sword in their hand. And you're thinking, whoa, I want them on my side. That's what we do with God. I want him on my side. And so we try to Tell ourselves, God's with me. No, no, wrong question. Are you with him? Because if you're with him, that means you surrender your presuppositions, what you think is truth, to who he is, because he is truth. He leaves Joshua with one thing, and one thing only. This is what he says. Verse 15, says, the commander of the Lord's army replied, he says, take off your sandals. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. All this fight, all this talk about war and sides and division and who will win and who will lose. And, and, the, and the commander of the Lord's army says, I'm not picking sides. You're with me or you're not with me. And then he gives one directive to, the, to, to Joshua. One directive only. He says, where you're standing is holy. Take off your sandals. And I just, I just really believe this is what God's telling us is that people like, Holiness is going to prepare our hearts. Holiness is going to prepare us. And so do away with foolishness. Put away with just playing games with God. You're not living on the fence. There's no such thing. He either is Lord of your life or he's not. He's either Lord of your life or he's not. And I really believe God is, God is, 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 is helping you make a distinction between it. It's because he loves you. And he doesn't want to mislead you into thinking that you can kind of live the proverbial kind of on-the-fence life. You can't do it. You're either all in or you're not. This kind of like, well, I think I'm kind of like kind of in, but I'm not really sure. I, I don't know if I want to do this. No, no, you're either all in or you're not. Because if you're not all in, I just don't believe that people make it through seasons like this. I yeah, yeah. just don't believe they make it. That's why we need to pray for one another. We need to encourage one another with the word of the Lord. And I just really believe that that word for us as a church is today. It says it in Leviticus 19, verse 2. He's, God says, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. It doesn't stay in the Old Testament church. It says it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. He says, be holy for it is written, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I believe this season God's leading us to a place of holiness, to a place and a posture of saying, God, I'm not picking sides. I want to make sure that I'm with you, that I believe your word, that I'm surrendered to your word, that although there are a lot of voices in society today, I choose to honor and follow you in all my ways. Let me pray for you today. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that in seasons of chaos and disruption and confusion, God, that you strengthen us, that you guide us and direct us. And so, Father, I know even today that many people who are watching may have never surrendered their life to you. So we never end a broadcast without giving you an opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And you may not understand it all, and you may have a lot of questions, and that's all right, my friend. The Bible says that sin separates you from God. It separates you from God. It prevents you from having a personal relationship with him. Now, many other religions would say that you have to live a perfect life and you have to do all these things to ascend to heaven. But our God did not tell us that he actually came from heaven to earth. And he went to a cross and paid the price that we needed to pay. He paid our debt and he paid it in full. He died a death that we should have died so that we could live a life that we don't deserve to live. And the only way that we're called children of God is if we get ourselves to a place to surrender our life, to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, to confess with our mouth that we believe and believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he declares himself to be. Listen, all have sinned. Everyone's messed up. All have fallen short of the glory of God. The scriptures say none are righteous, not even one. But I want to lead you in a simple prayer, but a significant prayer today. Believing and knowing according to the word of God that on the other side of this prayer, on the other side of this confession, on the other side of this belief is a new creation. The Bible says the old is gone and the new has come. What, what is gone? The gone is, is the beliefs of the world. The old you and born is a new you. Surrender to God. Walking in authority. Claiming the promises that are over your life and the generations to come. And so I want to lead you in this simple prayer and just repeat it after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your Son, Jesus, as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that He died on the cross and He was raised to life. God, forgive me of my sins. Help me to walk in holiness. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for people. Well, hey, let me pray for you before you go, wherever you um, are, you can stand to your feet. Why don't you stand to your feet in here? And I know it may not be good for the cameras, but why don't you stand to your feet? And if you're at home watching, um, we always like to stretch our hands as a family and and just believe things. But before you you stretch your hands, I, I just wanted to share this with you. I think it's interesting. In my devotional, I was reading... Um, about wildebeests and zebras. Um, wildebeest, what one would you be, Pastor Brian? He doesn't know. <laughs> and um, I was reading this article or reading my devotion, and um, it was depicting that the wildebeest and the zebras actually, though they live apart from one another, they travel together. And someone asked, why do they travel together if they don't do life together? And they said, well, the wildebeests are basically blind. They can't see well, but they have a great sense of smell. But the zebras, they can see really good, but they can't smell at all. But together, they travel because in a pack, they protect themselves. Unknowingly, they actually need one another. They're better together with one another, and they make up for one another's weaknesses by the strengths that they have. I just want to encourage you, sometimes in seasons of division, you want to push people in the house away from you because they might not have the strengths and the gifts that you have. But my friend, we need one another. We need one another. Don't discard the person next to you because they can't see like you do. Maybe they can smell a lot better than you can smell. And so we need one another. doesn't mean that we're going to have perfection in all that we believe, but we need to have unity under one name, and that's the name of Jesus. Amen. Come on, stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for this house. I thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that no weapon formed against us will prosper, that greater he is in us than he is in the world. And Father, I know that calamity can happen all around us. Discord and division and chaos can be the norm, if you would, around us. But in our soul and in this house, Father, may peace, may peace remain, God. May may joy remain in us, Father. Regardless of what is happening, Father, may we be a walking example of your love and your kindness and your your forgiveness to other people in our world. Father, go with us today. Go with us this week. Father, may we walk with authority. May we walk with power. May we walk with faith and not fear. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. A faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless.